Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Motown Sports Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jimmy. How are you doing today? Great. Training camp starts tomorrow. It's training camp evening. Yep. It's exciting time for all the NFL fans. First, we want to start off by letting everyone know that we were both actually interviewed by Jim of the Detroit Sports Room. You can find that on YouTube and you can check all the other cool interviews that he's done. He interviews tons of different Detroit podcasters. So if you haven't checked those out, you should check it out. We also talk about our backgrounds and ourselves a little bit if you're interested in no one. So first up today, we're actually going to start in the MLB where there was breaking news as of just this morning that we have eight new Seattle Mariners players who have tested positive and two coaches as well for COVID-19, obviously. That's bringing the total to 14 members of the team who have tested positive. So their home opener, which for tonight was canceled, as well as another game that was scheduled for tonight between the Phillies and the Yankees. And this is obviously possibly even putting the whole season in jeopardy. And there's probably going to be more players who test positive as a result of this. And I believe that they are the only league that's not doing a bubble destination as of right now. I might be wrong on that. Someone can correct me. But I think they're the only one who is still traveling daily between different cities and stuff like that. So, Jimmy, how do you think the MLB is going to proceed after these results? Well, they're being very proactive about canceling games. They do have the benefit of having a much longer regular season than the NFL. The MLB Mm -hmm. is having a 60-game regular season. The NFL only has 16 games. So canceling any one game in the NFL would just be really brutal and really affect the season so the mlb has that advantage that they can wipe out two three four games here or there and it doesn't really affect the season some people would argue though that it would because i know some people who are big baseball fans and they think even a 60 game season is too short of a season because if you look at last year um again i'm not 100 sure i'm not a huge baseball fan but according to them I think the World Series champions last year were, in the first 60 games, they were under 500, and then they went on to win the World Series. So some people, like I said, in baseball argue that if you take away those games, it might be more detrimental than beneficial. Yeah, that's true. And it's possible that they don't even have to take away the games. They're able to play doubleheaders. Yeah. Uh, they may have days off where they can squeeze in a game here or there. So exactly. baseball has a significant advantage in being able to shift and move around games compared to the NFL. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that was interesting about the positive rates was the initial positive rate among MLB was around 1.2% or so, which is pretty low. Yeah. We saw the NBA coming about 5% with the initial testing. We'll find out very soon in the next few days what the NFL initial testing rate is going to be, and I'm fascinated to see what that is. But maybe because the MLB, MLB testing initial testing rate was so low, it's possible, and I've said this before, that a low testing rate potentially increases the likelihood of more positive tests during the season. I think if you're rooting for regular season to go smoothly, mm. it's more likely the regular season is going to go smoothly if more players have already got been positive and recovered before the season starts. Mm. So the higher the initial testing rate, the more likely the season is going to go smoothly. Exactly. The one question, though, is if, like you say, it's better to get it early and recover from it. So say if everyone starts reporting back to training camp, some players start testing positive. How, if they have to be out for one to two weeks, again, we, I, would you say it was a 
do they we still don't know the exact days that they're going to be out do you know well they did announce it which is minimum 10 days if you're symptomatic and minimum five days if you're asymptomatic all right so it just kind of puts in question if maybe have quarter of the team test positive during training camp and they're out for that period of time in training camp when they've already missed otas and all that how that could affect them going into the season which we discussed last week or I believe I think we discussed on Jim's uh, podcast interview if it could possibly increase the injuries with players at not playing or not being able to be in training camp for the full amount of time. Right. So it would affect training camp, but would you rather have players miss one to two weeks in training camp or miss one or two weeks in the regular season? Exactly. So there's a chance that getting early does provide some immunity and potentially will decrease the likelihood they'll have a positive test during the regular season and decrease the likelihood that there would be an outbreak during the regular season. Exactly. So how do you think the MLB is going to proceed from here? Do you think some people are saying that they should just cancel the whole season if there's more positive tests, but do you think that's a possibility? Or do you think, like you said, just mentioned that they might just kind of rearrange games or even push the season back a little bit further? Yeah, I don't follow the MLB close enough to be able to predict what they would do, but I think they should push forward. Mm-hmm. and just see how it goes. Yep. If the positive rates get really out of control, then maybe put a one- or two-week hiatus on the season, yeah. which it seems like they would be able to do that. But I think you got to push forward and not just call things off anytime yeah. there's a little bit of an outbreak. Exactly. That's my biggest thing, especially which I know we're a sports show, but even in society, like I think just trying to cancel everything or shut everything down again is not good. We just need to put harder restrictions or more rules in place to try and keep things moving and progressing. And same thing in baseball. You need to just, like you said, maybe the at most put a one to two week hiatus on the season and just try to keep it going as quick as possible. And like you just mentioned with the NFL, it might even be good if players start testing positive now, and then it might be better for later than to keep going throughout the season and be fine. So next up, we're going to move into the NFL, which we were just kind of talking a little bit about. But there has been a lot of news coming out recently. The NFLPA has finally come to an agreement regarding how the players will be paid, if it's a shortened season, and just all sorts of other issues. We're going to go through and we're going to kind of break down all some of the important things that we noticed in the deal. The major thing is that the salary cap for 2020 is going to be remaining the same and they're going to be pushing the lost revenue into the following four years. I guess what, I guess if you want to go into a little bit more detail on this, Jimmy. Yeah. So the NFL salary cap next year will be minimum of 175 million. So Mm. that's about a 20 million drop from the current year if they sustain any losses and there's a chance they won't even sustain losses right the salary cap could remain flat but it's unlikely it's going to increase at the rate that would have been expected Mm -hmm. so what this means to teams is they need to be careful about how they're spending their money yeah if they go into next year expecting the salary cap to be at a certain number and it comes down comes back 20 million dollars lower they're gonna have to cut players potentially even star players they could have to cut a bunch of mid-level guys a bunch of their depth mm-hmm. now the lines are in a pretty good position right now they're about 20 million dollars under the cap which is something they could carry over to next year yeah but they have galladay and decker up for possible re-signings this mm-hmm. year so they need to be careful how they restructure those contracts and how much they're willing to pay them so as not to get into a salary crunch next year. 
Yeah, exactly. So it's going to be real interesting to see how teams kind of work with their cap following trying to keep it going for the next few years. And like you said, especially not just on the Lions with Kenny Galladay, but there's also players on other teams who are going to be coming up for huge extensions. And it's going to be interesting to see how it affects those players' deals as well. One other interesting fact from the agreement that came out was the opt-out option for players, which they basically have until August 3rd, which is one week from today, to decide if they're going to be playing or they're going to opt out for the season. And once they make that decision, that decision is final. You will not be allowed back in in the 2020 season at all. So again, Jimmy, if you just want to go into the details kind of on how they're going to be paid. Right. So there are three potential opt-out options. There's the standard opt-out occurring before the season, August 3rd deadline, which is a $150,000 salary cap uh, or salary advance. So it's not free money. It's going to get taken out of a future salary. Yeah, There's no accrued season, which hurts them if they're potentially on the fringe of getting to free agency. Mm-hmm. The contract will toll. The second opt-out is a higher-risk medical category opt-out, which is a $350,000 stipend, which is not an advance against future salary. So it sounds like that's free money. (laughs) The contract will toll, and the player will receive an accrued season toward free agency and towards player benefits. Mm -hmm. There is a third opt-out, which is less reported. I saw it on Albert Breer's uh, article today, which is there's a mid-season opt-out option, which is very limited. Apparently, mm-hmm. it might be only if there's a family member that's very ill or something like I that. So I don't know any more details about that one. So I wanted to talk about a little bit about the higher-risk medical category opt-out. They yeah. listed the categories, which are cancer, chronic kidney disease, COPD, weakened immune system from solid organ transplant, Mm. serious heart conditions such as heart failure, coronary artery disease, or cardiomyopathies, sickle cell disease, type 2 diabetes, asthma, cerebrovascular disease, cystic fibrosis, hypertension, weakened immune system from blood or bone marrow transplant, immune deficiencies, HIV, use of corticosteroids, or other immune-weakening medicines, neurological conditions such as dementia, liver disease, and pulmonary fibrosis. So that's a nice big list there. The key thing to know is most, all these players are young and they are extremely fit. They are among the most fit, healthy people on this planet. Yeah. So the vast majority of these high-risk categories don't even apply because if they had them, they wouldn't even even be playing in the NFL. Exactly. So the ones that do apply are, number one, asthma. That's something that's a very common thing, exercise-induced mm-hmm. asthma. It's pretty easily controlled, so you can be a high-level athlete with it. Mm-hmm. Hypertension is a possibility. Use of corticosteroids. Now, this is not performance-enhancing steroids. This is a different category. Mm-hmm. Corticosteroids are medications like prednisone, which decrease inflammation in the body. Some players might be on them in a chronic fashion if they're having a lot of arthritic or inflammatory issues with their body. So that's a possibility. Yeah. The other two are sickle cell disease and HIV, which is possible that some players have that. Now, I had been advising the NFL and the NFLPA to keep at-risk or high-risk language out of the deal. So they 
decide to go and put that in, which yeah. potentially exposes them to a lot of appeals, legal battles, and doctor dissenting opinions. However, the financial benefit of high-risk opting out is very low. And couple that with the fact that the risk of a player developing COVID-related issues is also very low, suggests that it's very unlikely players are going to take an opt-out option. Yeah. yeah, one player has already chose, chosen to opt-out, and that is Laurent Duvernay Tardif. Tardif. I'm sorry if I butchered that. I probably did. But yeah, he's the Chiefs um, offensive lineman. He is also a doctor. He has his doctorate in medicine, and he has been um, kind of on the front lines helping out in this COVID uh, epidemic right now. So he has been opting out for different reasons. And I know you said you kind of had some some feelings on this in your opinion, Jimmy. Yeah, so let's get into this a little bit. Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, his history is he graduated from McGill, which is a Canadian medical school in 2018. Mm-hmm. He has not had time to do any residency training. So that's an important thing to note. Mm. On his tweet, I quote, the reason for his opt-out is, I cannot allow myself to potentially transmit the virus in our community simply to play the sport that I love. If I am to take risks, I will do it caring for patients. So I absolutely support his right to do what he wants and to opt out. Of course. Fully support that option, no problem. However... If this is my son, if this is my friend, I'm telling him that's a bad decision. He should stay with the NFL. couple reasons for that. Number one is the NFL has a rigorous frequent testing program, which is not something he's going to have in regular society. Right. So he's going to know much sooner than otherwise if he's positive and potentially could spread it to somebody else. Yeah. The NFL also has many restrictions on peer activities, which we'll discuss in a little bit. Mm-hmm. So he'll be better insulated in the NFL than in many other areas of life. Number two reason is how much value is he actually providing to patients here? He described working as an orderly on the front lines. Well, here's the deal. He's a medical school grad without having done residency training. (laughs) He does not have the skills or capability to safely act as a physician. He also does not have the skills to act as a nurse, a medical assistant, a nurse's aide. Those are all specialist positions, too, that require some training. You don't learn those skills in medical school. Mm -hmm. You learn a baseline of knowledge that gets you prepared to develop skills to become a doctor, and he hasn't gotten there yet. So he's unlikely to be even providing that much value to patients (laughs) based on his current knowledge and skill level. Yeah. So the the number three point is if his goal is actually to decrease the spread of the virus, he'd have much more of an impact by being a visible, active player in the NFL and being a positive role model. Mm -hmm. And the money he could make in the NFL could be used now or in the future to aid in his ability to care for patients. So he's giving up millions of dollars here. He's he's getting the three hundred or he's getting the hundred fifty thousand dollars salary salary advance. So He's giving up millions of dollars potentially to take this year off, which that money potentially is going to be there in the future. Potentially not. He, he's losing a year of his career. Yeah. I'm not too familiar with how his play has been over the last few years. Kids, I can't say if he's really going to be worth a huge contract or not, or if he's going to be 
or what his contract even was if he's going to be paid that much. But yeah, again, I agree. I think you have much better. And I think you have, even though he's still an NFL player, I think you have a bigger voice when you're in the NFL and you're on that platform almost weekly to be able to say something or voice your opinion in any way that he'd be have more of a benefit in the NFL than he would on the front lines. And again, I didn't know any of that. I just read that he was a doctorate, had his doctorate degree and was working on the front line. So I didn't know any of that stuff or how that actually works. So thank you for breaking all of that down for us. So another thing to note from the NFL is that 59 players have tested positive throughout the offseason so far. And a lot of NFL teams have been thinking about the possibility of keeping a quote unquote quarantine quarterback, which again, would just be some type of quarterback that they would keep obviously under quarantine that would not be going out into the public. And again, if you want to give a little bit more details exactly, because I wasn't even too sure on how this would work. Yeah. So the 59 positives were how many are known to have contracted the off season. That yeah. doesn't include players who haven't disclosed it due to uh-huh. HIPAA privacy or just never got tested. Right. So the number is actually probably much higher than that who have already contracted COVID. Mm-hmm. At some point, we'll get the results of the initial round of testing, possibly in the next few days. So it'll be very fascinating to see what that number is. And again, I've said this is if the goal is for the season to go smoothly with minimal disruption, the more players that test positive early, the more likely the season will go smoothly, mm-hmm. assuming that some degree of immunity is developed, which helps decrease the likelihood of positive tests in the future. Yeah. So let's just hope that most players actually already had it, contracted it in the offseason somehow, and have already gotten better and hopefully have some type of immunity built up for it. Right, absolutely. Now, as far as keeping a quarantine quarterback, I really love thinking about these strategic issues when it comes to dealing with any kind of new rules or a new pandemic like COVID. Mm-hmm. I've seen multiple teams already publicly announce that they're considering keeping a quarantine quarterback. It seems like that might be a good idea mm-hmm. because you don't want your entire quarterback room to be wiped out. Exactly. And now you're looking at a fourth or fifth string quarterback who you're trying to pull off the couch. <laughs> now in a typical year, I like the idea of only keeping two quarterbacks on the roster because after the second quarterback, your season sort of screwed anyway. Yeah, exactly. But this year is a different year where you might want to keep a third quarterback Right now, the Lions only have two two legitimate quarterbacks on the roster, Stafford and Chase Daniel. Mm-hmm. The next guy is David Blau. So we're not in good shape if David Blau <laughs> has to come in and play for us. So maybe we want to keep Chase Daniel in quarantine <laughs> and lock him up in a padded cell to, just in case Stafford goes down for a couple of weeks. I don't know. Yeah, that's honestly a really good idea, considering we're paying Chase Daniel that much money. So if we had both Stafford and Chase Daniels go down, that'd be, like you said, we're just at a little, the season doesn't even matter at that point. So maybe they should consider putting Chase Daniels under some type of quarantine and maybe bringing in some other quarterbacks this during training camp, maybe to work them out and see if they can get another quarterback on the team. Yeah, that's a really good idea. We saw the Lions bring in a whole boatload of quarterbacks last year during training camp, just shuffle them in and out to try to find one that they liked. That might be a really good idea this year to try to get a legitimate third or fourth quarterback. Uh, Even if you don't keep them on their roster, if they stay unsigned during the season, you could potentially bring them back during the season. Mm -hmm. They'll have some knowledge of the offense. They'll have some knowledge with the system and the team. Exactly. And they might be able to play at a moment's notice, like 
in a day if mm-hmm. necessary. And that's something we should discuss coming up is the frequency of the testing program and how it might affect game day. Yeah, for sure. And one other note with the practice squad um, being increased as well. So they could have maybe one or maybe even two quarterbacks just on the practice squad, like you said, just to have them that know the system. And that's another thing we can bring up right now as we move into that the practice squad have they've kind of changed the rules now that there's going to be no more waivers. They can literally just pull them up and pull them down, kind of like the MLB. And I believe the NBA is like that. Again, I'm not 100% sure, but I think from the G League up to the NBA, I think they can just move them in like a day or two, and then they can be playing within, again, like maybe two to three days. So now that's with practice squad players. They're going to be able to just pull them up within a day's notice. So that could be a huge benefit. Like I said, maybe keeping two quarterbacks on the practice squad. Would you do have your opinions on that rule change? Yeah, I think it's a good rule change. Practice squads are completely different this year than in yeah. previous years. They almost should give it a different name because it's <laughs> so different. Mm-hmm. Uh, these guys are basically part of the team. In the past, if you brought a guy up to the team, you had to keep him on the active roster for at least three weeks. And if you dropped him back to the practice squad, they, were, they had to clear waivers. Right now, players won't need to clear waivers when mm-hmm. they go up and down from the practice squad. Exactly. So practice squads in the past were used as a developmental program because these guys, these guys rarely saw game action, Mm. but this year it's something different. These guys are backups and I think you want guys who are ready to play. Yeah. So guys who are ready to play at a moment's notice are much more valuable to keep on the practice squad than say some undrafted rookie or fringe player who doesn't have any NFL experience. Exactly. Another thing that can change about practice squads is you want positional diversification. You want to have backups available at each position. In the past, say you had a bunch of really promising wide receivers, you might keep four or five wide receivers on the practice squad because they're the best guys. Yeah. But this year, I don't think you want to do that. I think you want to spread out the position so you have backups available in case a bunch of players go down during the regular season. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's especially with what happened last year. We had almost half the team on IR by the end of the season. Like you said, those practice squad players are pretty much just backups at this point. So when again, it kind of is a sort of bit of developmental thing because those are people that we kind of cycle through. You sign and cut people from the practice squad so often. So I kind of think it is just I'm using it as a base. But again, just having people there that can know the system, know the knowledge, and know the team and be able to work with the other players and everything like that too, it's a huge benefit. Yeah, that's a good point about cycling guys around the practice squad is maybe strategically you sort of want to do that. That way you get a whole bunch of players that have some familiarity with your scheme. So you, in effect, have a practice squad that's actually bigger than 16. (laughs) Like every other week you're cycling five to seven guys back and forth. Right. You could have a total of maybe 50 guys out there that are unsigned that know how to play. Right. Yeah, that's an interesting strategic idea. Yeah. Now, when we see which players get picked for the practice squad, guys who have the ability to play multiple positions are going to be favored here. Yeah. So, for example, an offensive lineman that can play guard, tackle, and center is going to have a lot more valuable than a guy who can only play offensive tackle. Yeah. So we might see guys that are multiple in their positions and can back up multiple positions on the team. Yeah, exactly. And we all know Matt Patricia loves that style. Just anyone, any player that can be versatile and play multiple positions is huge. It's a huge benefit for Matt Patricia. I know that's something he loves in his players. So 
Yeah, you're right. So this might give us a little bit of leg up because we are already in that mental mindset that we want guys that are multiple. Exactly. And so one thing before we move, um, well, we, I mean, we still got a lot of COVID topics to go on, but I know that the NFL has actually released their testing protocol from now on. And again, I know you know way more about this than I do, Jimmy. So if you kind of want to break down how the NFL is going to be, I know they're doing daily testing, but exactly how are they going to be doing that? Yeah, so they announced that they're doing daily testing for the first two weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, and then if the rate drops below 5%, they'll test every other day. Now, I have some questions about how this is all going to be handled. The results are expected to be back within 24 hours, mm -hmm. but... Are they going to withhold all results until every team's results are back? Because I want to know what's going to happen on game day. Let's say they're testing players Sunday morning. When do those results return? Are they going to return in the middle of a game? Right. I, mean, I can just imagine the Lions and Packers get flexed to Sunday night. All right. We're fourth down and goal. We're going for the winning touchdown. And, oh, wait, our entire offensive line is now removed from the field because they all tested positive 12 hours ago. Yeah. So, so when, how are they going to handle these results and how are they going to handle them if they're returning in the middle of a game? Exactly. Yeah. So again, that's a question, I guess, how I'm, I'm not too familiar with the COVID testing. How long is an average test? Does it take usually a full day to come back or is it sometimes within hours? How long is it average? Well, every lab is different. So the NFL is contract with their own private testing mm. laboratory. And the public report is they expect the results back within 24 hours. <laughs> uh, again, that, that's such a gray area. Again, if the results come back in 12 hours, what are they going to do? Or, like if we're playing the Packers and the Lions results come back three hours before the Packer results are <laughs> Are, are we going to have to pull our guys off, but the Packer guys can play in the game? Or are they going to withhold all the results until everybody's results are back, which medically is also is going to be unethical because now you got a <laughs> bunch of guys you know are positive that you're letting play in the game. It, it, it's a little crazy if they are actually going to be testing players daily. This is why I always thought the idea of testing three times a week, like Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, mm -hmm. would be the least least disruptive to the yeah. games because those Friday tests, you'd have them back by Saturday. So you're not going to have any of this craziness and chaos going down on game day. Yeah, exactly. That's like, I know we've talked about it in previous episodes. That's going to be the craziest thing to see if a player possibly tests positive on game day, game morning, or even in the middle of a game. It's going to be real real crazy to see how that happens. And we all know it is very, very possible that the NFL, especially since you said they're using their own private facilities and their own private doctors and nothing. And that the, I believe it's the HIPAA law, right. That they don't have to publicly disclose anything. Right. Um, so, yeah, so they could, it could be very possible that we have players who test positive and they're asymptomatic. So they're still end up being played. We saw those new face shields that the, Hopefully we've discussed those before. They might come out with some new iterations of that. So, yeah, like you said, what happens if uh, Tom Brady and the Pitt Tampa Bay Buccaneers are getting ready to go down week 17 and fight for a playoff spot, and then he ends up testing positive, or same thing with Stafford, or it's just any star player, if they test positive on game day or anything like that, it's going to be... Yeah, it could be chaos. Mm. Now, for people who are gamblers out there, gambling fans, yeah, there potentially could be some game day chaos there. 
down there. Everybody's going to be holding their breath right before the game to see if there are any recent release positive <laughs> results. Yeah, that's a good point that you brought up that never I never even thought of, and I never even thought of this um, either about fantasy football, the implications on that. Depending on what league or what settings you have, lineups lock down at a certain time. So if player tests positive an hour before game time and your lineup's already locked down for the day, what again i mean they might have to just change rules with fantasy or something like that it's gonna be real it's gonna be real crazy to see how this year plays out yeah so from a fantasy standpoint here's a tip maybe you want to draft guys who have already tested positive (laughs) so with the hope that they have some immunity so they're not going to test positive during the season Maybe that's another stat sheet I'm going to have to print out at my fantasy draft, all the list of players who have tested positive. <laughs> right. Or, or just keep it to yourself and maybe get a little bit of a leg up on it. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> all right. And one other thing that we wanted to mention, too, is the whole Lou Williams. And uh, he was recently spotted at the strip club photograph there after he was supposed to be was he, wasn't he supposed to be quarantining away from the team? Or no, he was away from the team for a family um, problem and then he ended up being photographed at a strip club i believe yeah that's a hilarious well not hilarious but uh <laughs> I, I think it's it, funny situation it is. it is hilarious that brings up the question how is the nfl going to possibly punish players if they do something stupid or consider an high risk activity while they're away from the team facility. Yeah. So the NFL did release the rules. Players cannot attend indoor nightclubs, indoor bars, except to pick up food, indoor house parties with 15 or more people, indoor concerts, professional sporting events, or indoor church services that allow attendance above 25% of capacity. Now here are the consequences. If they do that, players can be fined, Moreover, if they test positive after engaging in prohibited activities, they will not be paid for the games they miss. Mm. Also, future guarantees in their contracts would be voided. So these are major, severe penalties for violating the rules. And I, I really like what the NFL is doing here. They're doing a really good job explicitly detailing the activities that are prohibited prohibited, and having severe consequences if players engage in those activities. So players are more than adequately warned. This whole Lou Williams situation is a warning <laughs> shot to all the NFL players. Mm-hmm. Be careful what you're doing out there. Everybody has a camera, so things can get leaked. So yeah. just deal with it. Quarantine, isolate yourself for four to five months during the season. After that, you can do what you want, but hold it together for four to five months. Exactly. You're, I mean, obviously there's a lot of fringe players, but still you're making millions of dollars playing this game. It's like, do you really want to put that at risk just to go out to a bar or a strip club? Or... Right. Yeah. That's hopefully it doesn't set a precedent for other players to go out and think that they can go do something if they're more safe about it. But like, as you mentioned, everyone has a cell phone now and every one of those has a camera on it. So especially if you're going into a high high attendance area like a nightclub or something like that everyone's gonna be taking pictures of everyone all the time so there's no point in risking it like that right so hopefully this this is one example of why the nfl is benefiting from the other leagues starting first mm-hmm. let the nba make their mistakes and hopefully we don't see the same kind of mistakes occurring with the nfl players Exactly. And as we started off the show with the MLB too, it's interesting to see how they're going to be handling this situation. If 
again, this is just a hypothetical thing. If we get into the NFL season, then all of a sudden one or two teams, more than half their roster ends up testing positive and has to be out for like a game. If like you said, maybe they test Friday, half the team tests positive. What are they going to do? Just move that game or. Yeah. I don't think they're going to move it. I, I saw an article about that, I think, today on Pro Football Talk. Is Roger Goodell potentially going to use his power to actually postpone or cancel a game? I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's a bad idea if it happens. The NFL has injuries all the time. It's just a normal ebb and flow of yep. an NFL season. Sometimes you're lucky with injuries. Sometimes you're not. So if half your team is out because of COVID, you're just unlucky that week. But potentially you might make it up later in the season when other another team might be significantly hampered by COVID and now you're healthy. Exactly. So I don't think the NFL should be canceling any games, even if it means a bunch of scrubs are playing. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's just going to be interesting to see how the MLB and all this handles it. So, but it's perfect because they get to, hopefully the NFL will learn from their mistakes is what we're saying. And one other thing they did, the NFL did state that they're going to be requiring all masks. All fans have to be wearing masks at all games this year. If we even have it, I know it's kind of a state by state case. And I know, I know you had a little bit of talk with Jim on this and your interview with him, but what do you think we're even going to have fans at any NFL games this season? It looks like we are going to have fans. It looks like a lot of teams are pretty ready and willing to go ahead with it. There's going to be a significant decrease in fans in the stadium. Somewhere between 10 to 30% of the stadiums might be full. Mm -hmm. And there's the requirement that they need to wear masks. Although that requirement, it's not like fans are going to be wearing masks the entire time they're at the stadium. Fans love to eat and drink at games. So half the time those masks will be off. Exactly. Now the, the likelihood of transmitting COVID at a stadium is up for question. There's certainly a possibility you could get exposed to COVID at a stadium. You're getting thousands of people in one area. Yeah. However, stadiums are huge spaces. Mm-hmm. Outdoor stadiums have lots of air, lots of ventilation. Even the indoor stadiums are huge spaces with lots of air and ventilation. So mm-hmm. this helps decrease the risk of spreading the virus and contracting a viral load high enough to cause problems. Yeah. And plus, obviously, like you said, with them only being at 10 to 30% capacity, they're going to have some seats barred off. It's not going to be everyone's all grouped in one section together. They're going to be separated six feet apart, at least. So honestly, this might be my be- right. favorite time to go to a game because I hate when we're all crowded together and packed into a place. So, <laughs> Yeah, you're going to have a lot of room to spread out, kick your legs up, your arms. <laughs> Now, one thing that's not going to be a factor this year is going to be crowd noise. With such a small number of fans and a lot of them wearing masks, yeah. I don't think offenses need to practice their silent counts. And potentially this could affect gambling and the spreads this year if mm-hmm. you're into that. Uh, I think over the past few years, there's already been a significant decrease in the impact of road going on the road mm-hmm. teams are really used to going on the road and that's going to even be more so this year with minimal crowd noise at games yeah exactly on my interview with jim we discussed that a little bit too on the impact of either having certain teams having no fans or just having little fans at all and how that might impact like you said i think it's a city by city case so if one city does not have fans and the other city does have fans even if it's at a little bit is that going to be a big advantage or is that going to be a negative yeah uh, 
I don't think it's going to be a, a big factor the crowd this year. Yeah. So I think uh, Vegas and those spreads, those lines are going to shrink between home and road spreads. And if they don't shrink, you might want to uh, favor, place your bets on the road team this year, at least early on. Yeah. Until those uh, spreads start to uh, readjust themselves. Yeah, I know. And even if, I mean, I know they are having fans, but honestly, okay, I guess this is a question for you. Do you think it's smart for the NFL to just keep being able to travel? I know you mentioned earlier that they only have 16 games. It's not like the MLB where they're constantly traveling. But do you think it would be safer for the NFL to do like maybe a bubble type thing with like maybe two, maybe three cities? Or do you think it's going to be fine with them just traveling? I think it's fine. I I don't think the bubble would uh, impact things that much. The NFL season was pretty long. We're talking four plus months, uh, including the playoffs. We're talking five to six months. And the NBA bubble is not a true bubble. You see players being able to leave. Uh, Mm -hmm. if they have any kind of family matter, whatever the heck that means. (laughs) Uh, Plus, all the staff of the hotel, uh, as well as the staff of the teams, they're coming and going as well. So it's not exactly like a true bubble. They're they're still getting exposed to people who could have COVID. Yeah, exactly. So I'm totally fine with the NFL doing what they're doing, which is trying to limit spread at each location, go ahead and travel uh, in as safe a manner as possible. That's going to be the least amount of disruption to the players and the teams, which has its own benefit. If you don't disrupt these guys, if they're able to sleep in their own homes, these things all matter when it comes to a player's health. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People don't realize that too. Like even with home and away games, even if there's no fans still, like you said, just being able to wake up in your own bed and then go to the, go to the stadium. It's still like, that's a huge factor. Just waking up with your family and all that stuff, instead of waking up in a hotel where you're in an unfamiliar city or whatever, going from there. Yeah. And that'll be interesting thing, how they handle the hotels in the past, even with home games, the lines would stay at a hotel. Hmm. I know this for sure, because I actually stayed at a hotel the night before a Lions game against Seattle, and I saw Lions players walking around that hotel. Wow. So I, and that that's a common practice mm. that teams have their players staying in a hotel the night before, even with home games. That way they're safe, they're isolated, they're, they know where they are. Yeah. Uh, they can impose a curfew, and then they're ready for the game the next day. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see if they change that philosophy for this year and allow players to stay in their own homes and just drive to the stadium. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And one other thing that I just thought of, do you think that, again, like I mentioned with them, if we have fans in the stands quarantining or keeping them six feet apart, do you think that they're possibly going to, They, yeah, I guess I'm kind of answering my own question. They said that they're going to do the tarps for the first six rows on the thing. Yep. So I was going to ask, do you think that they're just going to completely block off those areas right behind where the players sit? So there's no fan activity at all with the things. But like I said, I just kind of answered because I know they're going to put those tarps. So, right. Yeah. That makes sense to keep players separated from fans. That, that seems smart. So last topic for the day, we will discuss what happens if an NFL player actually does test positive. So again, Jimmy, like pretty much, you know, way more about all this stuff than I do. So yeah, what is the, what's going to be happening? All right. So here's the rule. If a player tests positive, but has no symptoms, uh, he can return to the, actually, let me start that over. (laughs) 
Okay, so if a player has a positive test and symptoms, he's out for a minimum of, of 10 days. If he's test positive and has no symptoms, he could return as soon as five days hmm. after after having two consecutive negative tests within 24 hours of each other. Now, th- this will be interesting to see how players handle this going forward. And we're not going to know. This is a little, maybe dirty little secret that the NFL is not going to tell you about. But symptoms requires the patient to be reliable and actually tell you that they're having symptoms. It's similar to the concussion protocol. Yeah. Some symptoms can be measured, such as fever, heart rate, blood pressure, O2 sat. However, a lot of symptoms when it comes to COVID or concussions are not measurable. They require patient reporting, such as coughing, runny nose, congestion, chest pain, difficulty breathing. So the whole symptom thing is a gray area and requires patient compliance. A player can say he has no symptoms if he really wants to play. Yeah. And that's similar to the concussion thing. A lot of players, they really want to play. They The best ability is availability, yep. as they say in the NFL all the time. So players will feel internal as well as external pressure to hide their symptoms mm-hmm. in order to be available as soon as possible. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to just see how this all plays out and also see how the doctors handle this. Are, are the doctors team affiliated doctors are they hired by the nfl are they fully independent doctors Mm -hmm. because is a doctor gonna be able to quarantine a player is if he's having symptoms but having negative tests so these are all really interesting questions and it just shows you medicine is not black and white but it's Mm -hmm. shades of gray and there's just a lot of gray area in all of this and it would be nice if all teams are playing by the same rules. Yeah, exactly. It, it would be unfortunate if one team is sort of skirting the rules a little bit uh, and favoring allowing their pay- players to play, where another, another team might be more restrictive and more s- strict about the reporting requirements and quarantining their, their players. Yeah, it's going to be real interesting to see if they just push players out on the field, even if they are testing positive, or who's going to be making those decisions behind the scenes. Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating season, and we haven't even started training camp yet, so <laughs> it'll be really interesting just these first two weeks of training camp, all the news breaking, all the reporting of the tests, so we're going to be following this very closely. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of, hopefully, a lot of information in the next couple of weeks with training camp coming out and them starting to be testing every day. And we might be getting a lot of positive tests, or we might have none at all. We might only have very minimal. We'll actually, uh, we're going to have to just wait and see. Yeah. And what I love about sports is it's acting as an excellent research study regarding COVID. Yeah. Because they're able to force a large number of people, we're talking thousands of people, to get tested on a frequent, regular basis. And they're releasing the results publicly. This is yeah. not something as a doctor I'm able to get any information about. It. We're just not able to get that kind of information. Ethically, we're not able to do these kind of tests. Right. So I'm really looking forward to following this sports testing and the numbers. For example, how likely is it for somebody to test positive more than once? 
if somebody does test positive more than once, what is the severity of symptoms the second time? Right. So these are all questions that are somewhat unanswered, but sports might give us some insight and answers into this. Exactly. It's sad to say, but they're kind of sports is kind of used to uh, guinea pigs for this whole COVID thing. But I mean, hey, we have to figure it out one way or another. The world's got to figure this out one way or another. So if that's going to help find results, then. Yeah. And th- these players are not at significant risk of harm regarding right. COVID either. We talk about COVID all the time and and we're not trying to discount uh, the, the player's health. Uh, we care about the players and coaches' health for sure. But the likelihood of a player developing severe symptoms regarding COVID is extremely low. Mm-hmm. I've yet to hear about any uh, active pro athlete having any severe issues with COVID. Yeah. And we know that thousands, likely tens of thousands of athletes have gotten COVID already. And the fact that there's hasn't been any report of any severe symptoms is a very positive sign for all these players. Yeah. The main guys we need to be worried about is the coaches and the staff who mm-hmm. are older and much more likely to have comorbidities. Yeah. So we should keep an eye on that as the season progresses to see if any of the coaches or staff get any severe symptoms related to COVID. Yeah. And I've mentioned this before that that's the only way that if they do pause or any type to take a break or any big significant thing like that were to happen, it would be due to, like you said, either big significant hospitalizations of a coach or possibly even a death of a coach or player or anything. That's the only way I see the NFL taking any type of stoppage in play at all. I agree with you. And as you mentioned, these teams all have state-of-the-art, the highest paid nutritionists, doctors, trainers, team like and these players are in the, like you said, top physical condition. They have the top people looking over them. If they have any aches, pains, anything, they can just go talk to someone. It's not like we have that right down the hall that I can just go. If I have a pain in my knee, go talk right. to them and they'll check it out for me. So, yeah, these players are very well taken care of. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I'm sure they're going to be fine. It's like you, as you mentioned, none of the players, even in the NBA, like all the players who have tested positive have come back and are playing and didn't mention anything, any severe symptoms. So, All right, so that's going to do it for us today. It's a big COVID episode for us, but I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Hopefully you learned a little bit with us, as I did. So thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you all next time.